Verse 3, ye that put far away the evil day and cause the sea of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. The Lord God hath sworn by himself, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. And a man's uncle shall take him up, and he that burneth him to bring out the bones out of the house, and shall say unto him that is by the sides of the house, Is there yet any with thee? And he shall say, No. Then shall he say, Hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commandeth, and he will smite the great house with breaches, and the little house with clefts. Shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. Ye which rejoice in a thing of naught, which say, have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? Listen, this is today. Amen. There are plenty of people that rejoice in a thing of naught. Uh, who, who won some silly game? They're, we're all excited about aren't we? Uh, you could apply that to sports, and then you could apply that to just somebody sitting around playing their own little silly game and wasting their own time on something that doesn't matter. Rejoicing in a thing of naught. The Bible says in another place, he takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. Uh, verse 14, But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hemath unto the river of the wilderness. All right, now, uh, the text, I suppose, is mostly from uh, the early parts of this chapter. He says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. There's a little saying that goes around uh, these days on stickers and things I see. It says, Life is good. Life is good. People are just sitting back, enjoying the luxuries and the food and the entertainment that they have. And, and believe me, that's not what I'm preaching against. But I am preaching against doing that in a certain context. So let's talk about those that are at ease in Zion or life is good. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll come down and speak to us and help us, Lord, to understand some things that we need to take real seriously. And I pray we wouldn't be distracted by the entertainment and luxuries of our day to the point that we don't think anything about you and the stuff that's going wrong in your cause. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I want to say tonight that an evil society enjoying luxury is often a precursor to judgment. Now, when you're evil and you're just sitting back enjoying it, that's a problem. Amen. Now, before I go on, let me tell you real clear what I am not preaching against. It says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria. I am not just picking out two words here, at ease and preaching against that. I was never in the military, but I'm pretty sure my favorite two military words would be at ease. <laughs> I mean, no nerves, no worries. You're not about to get chewed out. We're just going to have a little talk, tell you the next thing to do. I'm afraid if they said at ease to me, I'd be hunting the couch, and I'm afraid that ain't what they're talking about. I am not preaching against, um, you know, peace and relaxation. I mean, buddy, couches and recliners and beds. <laughs> These are a few of my favorite things, I promise you. 
I am not preaching against rest. I'm not preaching against assurance, quietness, peace. I love all those things. Uh, I've often wished that my Noah was around because his name means rest or peace. And I was always just at ease when I was around our Noah. I just love that. I think I'm kind of a nervous person. And so anything that relaxes me, I love. I mean, I... I like it even when I've got a cold and I've got an excuse to take a little cold medicine. <laughs> All my worries just go away. <laughs> That's a tendency in a bad way, isn't it? But I love ease. There's no doubt about it. I'm real big upon that song. State upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as He promised perfect peace and rest based on that uh, verse. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. We're in the Old Testament prophets. I'm going to read you just a few here from Isaiah. Let's see. Isaiah chapter 30, I think I want here. Uh, Isaiah 30, 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. I remember when I was a younger man and the kids was all busy. I wanted to be, you know, throwing balls up against the wall and bouncing them back and seeing who could catch them first and all that stuff where the house was just shaking with all our activity and showed me that we were all healthy and happy and everything. Boy, the older I got, the less I liked it. I <laughs> see Isaiah 32, Isaiah 32, verse 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. New Testament. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These are all wonderful favorite scriptures of mine. Talk about peace and quietness and assurance and confidence and rest. And all, Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Old couch-loving Brother Bob is not going to preach against rest and peace. You will never have to worry about that. But there is a context in which it's dangerous. And when you're at ease in Zion in a wicked time, trusting in Samaria, that's a bad something. There's something badly wrong. So let's look at this passage a little more closely, and we'll expound it a little bit and get a, into a few other places in Amos. All right, first of all, let's look at, at ease in Zion. We might call this their comfort. All right, the first big red flag you see, even after the wonderful part of being at ease, is this, they trust in the mountain of Samaria. Well, wait a minute, that's not God's mountain. Amen. That's not Sinai. That's not uh, one of the mountains of Judah. That's not Hebron. That's not these places where we've seen God come down. Mountain of Samaria, there's some problems in Samaria. What are they doing trusting in that? Uh, too many people are trusting political things to keep them safe. Instead of trusting God. That's correct. Amen. Amen. Their comfort is on a false foundation. They're at ease in Zion, but they're trusting in the mountain of Samaria. Named 
chief of the nations, it goes on to say. Hey, American, we got a big, strong military. We got tremendous advancement. I hope that's not where your confidence is. Amen. You know that can fall quickly. Yes. You know the people running the show ain't exactly top shelf. <laughs> Amen. Uh, you better not put much trust in these things. Trust in the mountain of Samaria, named chief of the nations. Here's a here's a real bad one. When you see somebody doing this, they got bad problems. Look at verse three. Put far away the evil day. When you think I'm safe, I'll get right sometime before <coughs> I die, but right now I'm going to have my fun. Right now I'm going to sow my wild oats. I've got plenty of time. I'm still young. I'll, I'll get right. You live till you're 70, don't you? I'll get right long before that and think that judgment isn't coming anytime soon. Uh-oh. You're dealing with somebody that's about to get it in the neck. What happened to Balaam? Here's what he said. He said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. When he had to uh, testify against those nations, you know what he did? He said, well, it won't be any time soon. Y'all have plenty of time. That is a bad thing. You know what the devil does many a time. I'm oh, sure yes. he's done it to some of you. I'm yes, sure it's yes, been an invitation yes. time and the Lord told you to go up and get some things right. And the devil said, you got plenty of time. There's no reason to do that today. <laughs> he will tell you to put things off that you know good and well you better do right now. How many of us have said, I will start my diet tomorrow? <laughs> oh, buddy. The sooner you start doing what you know you ought to do, the better. And the more you put something off, the more you establish that habit, yes. and you will pay. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel 12, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, The vision that he seeth is for many days to come. And he prophesieth of the times that are far off. Hey, listen. You know what the Lord says? He says, Am I a God far away and not nigh? Yes, he is. You Listen, you can do about anything. Just saying, well, i got plenty of time. God's far away. He's not worried about what I'm doing right now. God is with you right now. If you're saved especially, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you and what you're doing right now is affecting your relationship in ways you can't even imagine or calculate. And this counting on getting right one of these days is not a good plan. Amen. Isaiah 56, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. <laughs> I sometimes wish the Lord wouldn't talk that way. It sounds so much like me. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and more abundant. You know, for right now, and today, and this week, and for the immediate future, we're fine. We'll just keep sinning. Don't worry, we'll get right one of these days. We know better than this. Many a Christian in the Bible Belt has thought just that. Now, they, they knew they got saved when they were little kids. 
And the Lord's talked to them, and they're familiar with His Spirit. They've heard good preaching, and they've heard good singing, and they know the Lord's real. And they understand all those things, but this present world has got to them, and they don't want to miss out while they're still young and can do it. And they're living for this world the whole time, knowing in the back of their mind that this Bible is right and that they need to get back to it. And they have every intention of doing it, but a long time from now. When you're at ease in Zion, trusting in the mountain of Samaria, trusting in a big, powerful uh, nation, putting far away the evil day, that is a wrong time to be resting. As much as Bob, Bob likes resting, that's a wrong time to do it. Here's a, here's a good one. Cause the seat of violence to come near. Uh-oh. While you're at peace, other people are going through hard times and they're being badly persecuted and you don't even care because it's all right for you and yours. You know why we ought to read missionary letters and pray for those missionaries and stay in touch with them and be a blessing to them anytime we can? Because they don't have the luxuries you and I enjoy. Amen. And we ought to care about that. You know why we ought to care about those lost souls in those other countries? They haven't had the chances you and I have had. And that ought to break our hearts. Psalm 94 says it this way. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. Listen, when you get these wicked, crooked governments and they're making laws against people that's trying to do right and messing up missionaries and messing up people just trying to raise their family decently, that's a bad thing. That ought to bother us. We ought to put our voice behind, hey, wait a minute, this isn't right. Jeremiah chapter 52, we won't read it for sake of time, but Zedekiah had been warned by Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, sad sack that he was, had been faithful and told Zedekiah the truth about it and told him, you, you better you better do what the Lord's telling you. And he wouldn't give in and there was pressure on him. And I, I will admit, I don't, I don't envy the pressure that Zedekiah must have been under. But sure enough, he didn't obey God. And you know what happened? They killed his kids right in front of his eyes and then poked his eyes out. Amen. And there he went to Babylon. Man, you talk about brutal. You talk about horrible. What happened? He didn't obey God. And in the meantime, what are the rich people doing? Oh, they're, they're fine. They're at ease and sign. Horrible. Causing the seed of violence to come near. Revelation 2.13 says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So here is a faithful martyr. You know what we have in our Baptist history? We have some faithful martyrs. They were faithful unto death. That's your bunch. That's my bunch. Yes. We have a heritage to live up to, don't we? Spiritually speaking. They cause the seed of vi all this violence is going on right while they're at ease and not caring about anything. Now what are they what are they doing? I looked at them politically, the laws that are going on and putting away the evil day and the chief of the nations they're trusting in and the mountain of Samaria. Now let's see what's going on personally. What's going on with them personally while such upheaval is occurring? Here's what's going on. Lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches. Uh -oh. 
trust in the wrong thing in an evil day, in a violent day, and they're just laid down. They don't care. Verse 4 goes on to say they're eating the lambs and the calves. Boy, isn't this us? Don't we have unbelievable comfort and luxury? Modern times have brought us many comforts. People live in wealth and luxury. But the Savior still asks this question. Lovest thou me more than these, my child? Lovest thou me more than these? What will your answer be? Oh, precious Lord, I love thee more than all of these, more than wealth, more than fame, more than the world. Is that our testimony? They're laying on beds of ivory. They're stretching themselves on their couches. They're eating the lambs and the calves. I mean, that's good. <laughs> I mean, now don't get me wrong, boy. That's great to do that once in a while. But when every single meal needs to be gourmet and every single night needs to be relaxing on the beds of ivory and the couches, pretty soon you get soft. Pretty soon you won't get up and do anything for the Lord and not much for anybody else. What have they got going? They got entertainment. Look at verse 5. Chant to the sound of the viol. Invent instruments of music. While all this wickedness is going on, they're sitting there playing music, and I don't mean to the glory of God. I mean to help them relax. I mean to help them be entertained. I mean to help them dance. Oftentimes, this leads to drunkenness and adultery. <coughs> And sure enough, look what comes up in verse 6. That drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. I mean, here they're getting drunk. Here they're putting on the great, you know, colognes and perfumes. They're attractive. The dances are going on. They're having a great time. Hey, wait a minute. What about the Lord's cause? Anybody care about that? What about the people that have all this violence coming on? Anybody care? Is anybody concerned? Anybody saying anything about anything? Uh, well, this is my day off. <laughs> Let me relax. They're drinking wine in bowls. Let's see, I've got a cross-reference over here to Isaiah. You know, they're not taking a little for their stomach's sake. Isaiah 5, verse 8, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, said the Lord of hosts, of the truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. The Lord says, those big, pretty, beautiful houses you retire to and go relax in and rest up every night, and you've totally ignored me and my calls, there'll come a time they'll be vacant. Even the great and the fair ones. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an homer shall yield an ephah. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts. Here it is. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and hath opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. So they're drinking their wine and their bowls. They're anointing themselves with the chief ointments. 
As I've already told you, a lot of this I like. <laughs> I love laying on beds of ivory, or I think I would. <laughs> I definitely can tell you I love laying on couches and recliners. I'm definitely good with that. I'm not preaching against that part of it. Here's the part that I got the big problem with at the end of verse 6. But they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. They're not reading missionary letters and their heart breaking over the work of God that's going on in another part of the world that doesn't have freedoms like we do. And the people that are starving over there while we're eating. It's ridiculous how we eat in this country. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed how much money we have. I'm embarrassed how much entertainment we have. I'm embarrassed how much comfort and luxury we have. I'm embarrassed how good we eat. I'm embarrassed about everything. Can you imagine? All, and don't get me wrong, I enjoy those things. I'm not preaching against them, except that in relation to people that are so poverty stricken. If you've traveled, I've heard Dad talk about it in his travels in the Navy and see people that are just so destitute. It just breaks your heart. And especially people that are in the work of the Lord. In, the, in God's cause. So all this is going on and the people that are supposed to be God's people are at ease in Zion and are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. You say, well, I can't fix it anyway. I just don't want to think about it. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when you hurt for something, even if you can't fix it, that's when you'll pray and get a hold of the God who can do something about it. And it might be he'll send you in some way it might be you'll influence somebody who can go. Ezekiel 9, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Sometimes a city is gone, and there's abominations done in there, and it's just too much for you to fix. Brother Ron was talking to me not that long ago. He talked about the direction of society and the way it was going, and he said, I guess I can't fix it, but I'm going to fight it. <laughs> and sometimes you can't fix it, but I tell you what you can do, you can at least be heartbroken about it. Amen. You can at least care to the point you at least mention it to the Lord who can do something about it. And you know what they were told? They were told, slay utterly, old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. And who got that mark that they got safety and they weren't wiped out? The men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in it. If you're just broken hearted about the direction we're going, God takes note of it, even if you can't do a thing about it. It sure blesses his heart just to know somebody cares. One of these days you'll be real bad off probably and there will be some people that love you they can't fix it. They can't heal you. They can't pay whatever it is you need or, you know, do a miracle cure on you. But they love you and their hearts will be breaking as you're going through it. And you'll sure be happy to have them around. How much more the Lord who actually can do something about it. They're not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Job 30, 25. When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. When I waited for light, there came darkness. Romans chapter 12 says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. It doesn't say necessarily that you can fix it, but he says you can weep with them. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. 
humble yourself, get down with somebody going through something and care, especially when they're some of God's people. So that's them at ease in Zion. I call that their comfort. Now let's see their consequences. Therefore, as found in verses 7 to about verse 12, what are the consequences? All right, verse 7. Therefore, now shall they go captive with the first that go captive. So they lose their freedom. This has a unique application to Americans, doesn't it? Has anybody ever been so free as us? Religiously, free. Hand out gospel, preach gospel on street corners, knock on doors, go over the radio, go over the internet, go over the television. I'm a flabbergasted at the freedoms that we enjoy religiously. Nobody ever could just put it out to millions and now billions of people like we can. Amen. Do we have freedom? It's unbelievable how much freedom we have. Freedom from want, as uh, Norman Rockwell did in that little series of four different pain. Freedom from want, why it's ridiculous what all we've got. Freedom to go where we want to go. Last time you all wanted to go to another state, did you have to fill out you know, permits and everything and get... Get permission from your government. We're free to go. Free to travel. Free to see things. Political freedom. We're not worried about going to jail for anything unless we're doing something actually criminal. And we ought to then, shouldn't we? I mean, it's unbelievable the freedom we have. And here these people have had freedom to do whatever they want in their comfort, but there's some consequences to that. You overdo your comfort pretty soon, you'll get over into some consequences. And one of the first ones is they lose their freedom. They go captive with the first that go captive. All right, secondly, in the rest of verse 7, it says, And the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. <laughs> they lose their freedom. They lose their food. Now, boy, you take a bunch of rich, fat, spoiled people, and you take away their food, <laughs> there's going to be blood running in the streets. God help this country if we ever hit another depression. This is a rich, fat, spoiled bunch here. Amen. They won't put up with not being able to get Chinese when they want it, Italian when they want it, Mexican when they want it. We was on this trip here lately, and I, I believe there was 10 Mexican restaurants for every one Italian. And then kids in Abbey got one Italian. Could, I mean, could barely even find an Italian restaurant. We felt so deprived. <laughs> now, is that spoiled or what? Oh, buddy. It's unbelievable. I mean, we get wanting a certain kind of food. We can get it somewhere without going too far. You get at ease in Zion when God's got some things for you to do and you totally ignoring Him and His stuff and just taking on all your ease all the time. There'll come a time you'll lose your freedom. There'll come a time you'll lose your food. Oh, yes. All right, look at verse 8. Therefore, now, or verse 7, we'll read again just to get the whole thought. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive. There's their freedom. And the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. There goes their food. Verse 8. The Lord God hath sworn by himself, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Did you know the Bible teaches that God hates something? Uh -huh. The hatred of God is a little-known Bible doctrine. People all the time complaining about hate. Uh, bad news for you. 
God hates. Right. Some things he hates so strongly they're called an abomination. Amen. Some things it says he abhors it. So they lose their freedom, they lose their food, and then here's, here's one that make everybody mad. God hates their country. What? There comes a point where you've avoided God and gotten away from God, disobeyed God, defied God, rebelled against God, refused to listen to God, and he gets where he just hates you. I didn't say he didn't love you back at Calvary. Don't misunderstand. For God so loved the world that he gave, hear all those past tenses, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, present tense, Okay? You believe right now and you get saved. But his love was shown to you in the past. Amen. But there can come a point. I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Brother Bob, you shouldn't preach this. I'm reading the verse. I didn't say abhor and hate. The verse in Amos 6, 8 said abhor and hate. Right. You're ascribing it to the wrong one if you're saying I'm preaching this. God hates their country. They lose their freedom. They lose their food. I call this, they lose their favor. All right, verse 9. And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. They suffer mass casualties. They lose their freedom. They lose their food. They lose their favor. They lose their lives. Now, we'll skip just a little bit ahead here in the, in the prophet Amos. Let's go over to chapter 8, just about a page over. Chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Oh, they lose their food? No, this is a different kind of famine. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. So they lose their freedom, they lose their food, they lose their favor, they lose their lives, and when there's a famine of his words, they lose their hope. Your hope is in the word of God. As long as you've got the word of God, you might repent and turn and obey what he's telling you to do, and there's always hope. But if you don't have his word, there's no hope. When we hear stories about some of these people groups that don't have the scripture in their language, and we can get, get an offering together and send over so they can get the scripture, we all do that. You know why? If you don't have the word of God, you don't even have hope. We need to get them the message. So at ease in Zion is their comfort. Therefore, these are the consequences. They lose these things. But if you're like me, you dislike messages that tell you this big problem and then just leave you. So we've seen their comfort in a bad time. And don't get me wrong, I'm not an anti-comfort preacher. <laughs> I'm very much pro-comfort. But in godliness with my trust in Him, not in ungodliness with my trust in Samaria. Amen. Big difference. So we've seen their comfort, we've seen their consequences. Now let's look at their cure. So what should be done? All right, let's see what the book of Amos says you should do about these things. All right, Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4, verse 12. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, 
And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. All right, step one, when you find yourself at ease in Zion, trusting in Samaria in an evil day, here's what you do. Start preparing to meet God. Now, in the New Testament times, you know exactly how you do that. You trust the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to wash your sins away and believe on Him to save your soul so you live forever in heaven. That's step one to preparing to meet God. If you hadn't done that one, you hadn't even started. Then secondly, after you get saved, you start living for Him and having a relationship with Him. And He'll, he'll give you the details past that. But number one, you get saved. So step number one, when there's too many people at ease in Zion, you prepare to meet your God. All right, now let's look at the next step. Uh, we're in Amos, look at chapter 5, verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not by to, Beer, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. You see what that's saying? It's saying, Seek the Lord. All right, uh, Amos chapter 7. Amos chapter 7, verse 2. It came to pass when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cause I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord report, repented for this. This shall not be, saith the Lord God. You know what you do? Secondly, you seek God. Troubles start happening. You start seeking God. The prophet prayed for him. He said, okay, I repent. I won't do that. You'd be surprised what you can get by with when you and the Lord are close. Now, I'm, not, I'm not recommending anybody sin and try to get by with it. But the truth is we do sin, don't we? Amen. You want the full consequences of your sin or do you want some mercy? Let me tell you what to do. Get close to God. Get seeking Him. Number one, prepare to meet Him. Be sure you're saved in New Testament vernacular. Number two, start seeking Him. Find Him. Let's see if I have my passage down here. Yeah, I did. Jeremiah 29. Then shall ye call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. You know what will help you find God? You get me in business about Him. You get looking for Him to the point you don't mind shedding tears. As Pastor Bell, I remember him yelling. I remember him yelling and preaching to us. He said, you get suburban about something that you wet your pillow with tears at night and business will pick up. <laughs> I remember him yelling that. That impressed me even as a even as a young child, and I still remember it all these years later. You care about, let me tell you what God sees. God says, bring here the bottle of his tears. I want to see how he feels about this. God is not nearly as interested in everything you know. He wants to know if you feel anything. Amen. We live in a generation that has gone, what does the New Testament say? Past feeling. When somebody is past feeling, they're gone. You know why? Because God isn't even paying any attention to them. But when you start searching for Him with all your heart, the Lord sees that. You remember when Jesus was coming through Jericho that last time and there were crowds everywhere and the, 
the press was so tight you couldn't even get through them to get to Jesus. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus so bad. As silly as it looked, the little short guy climbed up in a tree. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if some government um, office holder in a huge crowd of people started climbing a tree? <laughs> Wouldn't you look at them and think that's pretty silly? Zacchaeus didn't care. He wanted to see Jesus that bad. And about all that crowd, who did Jesus point out that day? Zacchaeus, come down. Make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. Who? The one that wanted to see him so bad he didn't care if he looked like a fool and climbed a tree. You get seeking him, that'll start fixing some stuff. You prepare to meet God and you get seeking for Him, that will fix some things. Seek God and pray. All right, here's another one. Uh, we're in Amos. Look at chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Thus He showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in His hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. You, you know what a plumb line is? It's the string. It's got the weight at the end. So the thing will be sure and go down straight. And you can check. Here's the, here's the proper word for it. The verticality. <laughs> How correctly vertical the wall is. I think the... I think the De definition of that was uh, on a right angle from the horizon <laughs> if I remember correctly I mean to show that wall was straight so you need to prepare to meet your, meet your God you need to seek and pray and you need to check the plumb line to make sure you're straight now what's, a, what's the plumb bob at the end of the plumb line that's the thing that's hanging down from above you know what's hanging down from above? You know what came down from above that lets us check things and see if we're straight? Amen. Here's our plumb bob. You check how you're living by this thing. And it's a pretty thick book. You'll, you'll need to read a little bit of it every day to be sure you're current. So you prepare to meet God. You seek God and pray. You check the plumb line. All right, still in Amos here, look at verse 2, and we'll see the next thing you can do that'll help. Amos 8.2, and he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. What did he just see? A basket of summer fruit. All right, look down at verse 5. Saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit? So these sorry things were reducing their portions while raising prices. They were crooks, in other words. But you know what you do to check and make sure you're not doing that? You not only check the plumb line, you check the produce. You look and see what's being produced and check the weights on it and make sure everybody's doing something fair. In other words, consider thy ways. When you bring a bunch of stuff in and you make all this money, and yet you're not getting any joy out of it, and you earn wages to put it in a bag with holes, and you 
put on clothes, but nobody's warm and you eat and you drink, but nobody's satisfied, that's a real good time to consider your ways. A bunch of Americans have been spending, spending a lot of money on a bunch of stuff that's supposed to bring happiness, and they're still drunk on drugs and going and seeing shrinks. It's not working. That's true. Somebody needs to check the fruit of their life. Somebody needs to check the results. Somebody needs to check the produce. Something's wrong. Somebody's getting crooked with you. Somebody's promising some things that aren't coming true. Check the produce. So you prepare to meet your God. You seek God and pray. You check the plumb line, which of course is the word of God. You check the produce. Look at the results of your life. And here's the last one. Look in chapter 9, verse 11. And that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. Verse 15. And I will plant them upon their land. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Now, I'm not exactly preaching on the Middle East question, but let me just say this. God Almighty says he's the one that's going to put the Jews there again. So you may as well not fight that. It is going to happen. It may not happen right now. It certainly isn't happening uh, completely right now. And there will be some times coming, the end times, that will be horrible times for him, if I understand my prophetic scriptures at all. But in the end, that's exactly who will end up there. But in our practical preaching of this book, let me say this. Let God plant you. I've often referred to Dr. Ruckman's letter that he wrote there very near the end of his life and said the greatest lesson he had ever learned in his whole life was that he did not have the sense to direct his own life. He left all that to God. Listen, let God plant you where he wants you. Amen. Don't you try to come up with a scheme. Poor Jacob, every time I read the story of Jacob back there in Genesis, my heart breaks for him. He is trying to trick people and arrange things to go his way. And don't get me wrong, he believes in God, and I appreciate that about him. And I'm not running him down in general, but that worried, trying to plan things and be sure everything comes out to his benefit, that just about wrecked him. And when he finally got to Egypt and the Lord had them miraculously saved from that famine, his own word of testimony was, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life and have not attained unto my fathers. You know why? Because he was holding on to all the worries of it and would not just turn it over to God and just let God blame him. That's right. His mom had taught him to trick and scheme and everything. And so even though it all came out fine in the end, he was still miserable. You want to you know a way to be miserable in life? You just try to control everything and make it come out to your benefit. You'll be miserable even if you win in the end. You'll have knots in your stomach and ulcers and God knows what from you trying to control a bunch of stuff. It's up to God to control, not you. So if you find yourself at ease in Zion, here's what you do. Prepare to meet your God. Seek God and pray. You look for Him. You pray to Him. You seek Him with all your heart. Then you check the plumb line. Make sure you're in obedience to the Word of God. Then you check the produce. You say, wait a minute, now how's this coming out? If it's coming out wrong, you're probably doing something wrong. And then finally, let God plant you. Just trust Him. Trust and obey. It doesn't look like it's exactly going your way. You just keep trusting. 
I could give I could give uh, examples even out of secular people's lives, not not even to mention Christians, where people looked like things were going against them, but they just stayed faithful and they just stayed on course. And after a while, things came back around. And if that's true in secular, how much more is that true with people that are being led by the Spirit of God, with people that are God's children? Listen, you just stay faithful. Just keep doing right. Don't get off track. Don't get distracted. Don't get lose your temper and say things and do things that you know you should have never said or done just because somebody provoked you. You just stay on track, rock solid, faithful, continual, and watch God bring everything right back to where it needs to be. Now, it'll go off course from time to time. The Lord knows it will. But you trust Him and let Him plant you back there. And that will fix a lot of problems when there's a bunch of people at ease in Zion. All right, I better close. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house again and learn these things. And God, I pray that you help us.